It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Tony Del Mercado. He's the CMO of Hawk Media and founder of 1099.me, a tax management service for entrepreneurs in the gig economy. I, I'm fascinated by that. I want to make sure we spend a few minutes talking about that. So, Tony, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking to add some value to your listeners. Oh, great. Well, I'm sure you'll do that. So, take a minute and introduce yourself before we get started. Sure. Yeah, my name is Tony Del Mercado. I'm actually the COO of oh. Hawk Media, not the CMO. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. We're, we're an outsourced CMO, so I guess you could say uh, we're I conflated those two, right? Okay. <laughs> we're, we're all CMOs in our own right. Um, yeah, I'm uh, originally from uh, Minnetonka, Minnesota, a west suburb of Minneapolis, and I grew up doing a lot of different things. Uh, played music and played sports, and always was interested in digital. I'm 33 years old, so I grew up in that era when it was just becoming cool to be online and uh, had a opportunity to work at a few different companies where I could apply my trade in the online uh, user acquisition and fan acquisition space, which is a nice blend of sales and marketing. And I've had, again, some success in the direct sales world and managed a pretty sizable team in that business for about five years and uh, landed at Hawk Media through my business partner and CEO, Eric Huberman. Uh, He and I had worked together on a couple of other projects. And in the late, I guess it was late 2013, um, he was working as a consultant under the name Hawk Media and was finding that a lot of the recommendations and strategy he was providing for people just wasn't, wasn't being executed and a lot of money and results were being left on the table as a result. And so we got together and um, he also hired a couple of other people to help with specific channel management. And uh, fast forward, you know, 26, 27 months now, and we've got a 42-person team of people that all do digital marketing uh, pretty darn well. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot along the way, and we uh, are really excited to continue helping all the businesses that we have. We've worked with about 230 companies in the last couple of years, so we're not focused on managing a small roster of Fortune 500s or something. We're, we're actually more excited about the SMBs and the uh, helping the mom and pops of the world kind of grow their businesses online. All right. Well, we're going to jump into that. First, let's let's take a step back and let's. You said you were in sales for all. Let's explore what you did in sales before you moved to the dark side of the forest of marketing. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, I went to architectural school and uh, I really enjoyed that. And that was in Boston, Massachusetts. And I I decided that I wanted to be a West Coast architect, so I moved out to. Um, I was on my way to San Francisco and I, I got caught in Sonoma because it was just so pretty and I ended up living in the Sonoma Santa Rosa area for a little while and while I was doing that um, I you know went for a, a job interview for what appeared to be a pretty simple straightforward sales position and it was for Cutco Cutlery which I'm sure many people are familiar with. Oh, Many of my guests have started their careers with Cutco. Yeah, and so I think I would I would probably land in that same bucket, and so went out and did some in home presentations after three days of training, and was fortunate to do really well right out of the gate. And uh, I think I've always had sort of a natural. Well, what uh, was the What was the key? What do you think was that you were doing that uh, you know attributed to your success? 
Yeah, I think the first and foremost is w- it was great training, right? Uh, I think I've always been um, a decent communicator, and, and I'm not afraid to you know ask questions and be persistent and be uh, consultative, at least in my sales style. But uh, there was great training. It was a really great program. Uh, big emphasis on personal and professional development, and uh, a lot of great tools and resources. People that had been there, great community of folks that were willing to share. But you were not you were walking neighborhoods, knocking on doors, though, right? Yeah, we're actually through referrals. Okay, uh, so all right, referrals. Starting with a warm network and then getting referred to you know their friends and they refer you to their friends and so definitely in home appointments, but not banging on the door like uh, they they used to. I believe in the early '80s that was sort of the model, and I, I know that you know Kirby vacuums and a lot of uh, other companies have kind of made a name for themselves by going out and banging on doors. And so we didn't have to do that, but we did still have to muster the courage to pick up the phone and ask for an appointment. And it was nice to have um, a group of people around that could help kind of shepherd me along. But uh, I think another one of the keys to success is I've just never been scared of no uh, in anything that I've done. Um, I'll ask, you know, I'm now married with a son, but you know, when I was younger, there'd be the, the guys huddled around the bar, you know, pointing at a at a pretty girl, and I'll go, yeah, I'll ask her out. The worst that's going to happen, she's going to say no. You know, if I have to call and ask for an order, no problem. Worst that happens is they say no. Best right. case scenario, they say yes, and that's great. And so I've, I've never really had a, uh, a fear of that no response, and I think that definitely helped me out in my sales career. And then later on, um, just a, I've always been a psychotic curator of, of culture. I, I just really <laughs> like keeping, uh, keeping a certain vibe uh, and so in the, in the recruiting side and in the sales management side, that was, that was very, very helpful. But sales success, long story short, I think there's a great program and, uh, and I worked hard, um, you know, called a lot of people, did a lot of appointments. So in your curation of, of popular culture, how's your psychosis manifested? <laughs> well, it's, it's less about uh, popular culture. It's, it's more about the a culture. Uh, I'm interested in what it feels like when you walk into a place, uh, okay. especially especially a professional environment. You know, there's some some offices. You know, hearkening back again to the Cutco and Vector days. You know, you could walk into an office in San Diego where you're sitting today, or you could walk into an office in Los Angeles where I'm sitting today, and based on the manager, they could they could feel totally different. Not just the aesthetics and the optics of the place, but they. You know the way people interacted with each other, the way people uh, interacted with guests, the way that people, uh, the language they used, you know how they dressed, uh, their their whole way of being w- it was fairly easily manipulated by the managers in those those rooms. And so uh, I've always been really interesting interested in curating a culture that is authentic to me. Very selfishly, frankly, just so it's easy for me to go to work and go home and be the same guy. And so if you came to our office up here in Santa Monica for Hawk Media, you'll find a bunch of you know pretty laid back, younger, smart, uh, hardworking people that are also wearing t-shirts and flip-flops and having a beer at three o'clock and uh, a, a whole bunch of other things. So what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite yet. Not, not quite. quite. Okay. St. Patrick's Day as we're, as we're doing this. Here right. So. Make sure it's green. Well, it's yeah. interesting. You know, when you're talking about the curation of the, the culture, is is sort of the flip side of that. At least, as I understand it, the way you're describing it, is really sort of the awareness and the empathy for the people you're speaking with as well, and that from a customer perspective. So, yeah. you know, being very conscious of impressions and creating positive impressions, and that's something I know you've written about. Uh, I've seen some of your articles online about uh, customer acquisition that how important first impressions are. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's um, 
you know, cliche to say, but you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And I think it's worth understanding your audience, whether that's a one person audience or a 10,000 person audience before you, you know, walk through the door or pick up the phone. And by making the right impression, uh, the right impression could be different for a certain type of person versus another. And you want to be perceived in a certain way, but also meet somebody at their level. And, you know, some of these ideas around empathy have been written about, um, you know, ad nauseum oftentimes in sales language, but I think they're super important. That's why they get written about so frequently. Well, I think one of the reasons they keep getting written about is because salespeople in general do a relatively bad job of, of embodying <laughs> that. Uh, otherwise, the stereotypes of salespeople and the fear of salespeople probably wouldn't be as strong as it still is. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, so well, let's talk about this whole challenge of outsourcing a CMO role because it seems to me like it's really interesting in this time where there's still a lot of talk in, in this digital age about sales marketing alignment. And, you know, obviously it's, it's important that there's a lot of different definitions of what that alignment constitutes. But it seems like one of the challenges you probably face as you come in as, as a, sort of an outsider is, is how, do, how do you make that happen? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, too, when you're talking about the types of businesses that we work with. We work with, you know, the lion's share of our roster is in the e-commerce space. And so a lot of that is transactional and oftentimes doesn't involve uh, a salesperson, right? It involves mm-hmm. a sales a process and maybe some automated you know, email nurturing and things that are a proxy for interpersonal sort of sales. And then a lot of our B2B clients, software as a service clients and things like that, uh, definitely require... Uh, a, a person, a, a real live human to get on the horn and sort of the, the interplay between lead generation, lead nurturing and, and closing sales is, is super important. So when we get plugged in, uh, regardless of the size of the company and we get in there and start sort of mucking it up and generating leads, uh, I'm, a, I'm a full funnel acquisition marketer. If you look at it, either B2B or B2C, uh, I really like acquiring new customers and that full funnel sort of perspective makes it important that, that the initial point of contact, the first time someone discovers your brand or your service, your product, is consistent all the way through the messaging that comes out that nurtures that lead with a, a sales call, if it is, with a follow-up call, with an in-person meeting. And I think that's, uh, for us, one of the areas that has been a challenge at a variety of different companies because we oftentimes walk into existing cultures uh, or, or processes and you know, we're just the we're just the vendor, right? New guy coming in as a marketer, and uh, oftentimes a sales manager, especially one that's been there a while, might say, "Hey, these guys are marketers. Let them worry about the marketing." We're, you know, we're over here in sales. But I think uh, understanding how that whole process is informed by each of the other parts of the funnel is really important to efficient, uh, efficient lead generation and high closing percentages. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Sales always seems to be spending a lot of their time trying to modify the message that comes from marketing. So, you know, as a as a CMO, as a marketing organization, how how do you how do you work with sales to get alignment on the messaging? Because there's really two parts, and we'll talk about the second part in a second. But um, yeah, I've seen this for you know the decades that I've been in business over wide variety of businesses from in the tech space, including digital marketing spaces. Is, how do you how do you work with sales effectively to say okay let's come up with a message that you sales don't have to start modify on the fly or feel compelled to think that you have to modify on the fly? Yeah, I think it's um, I think you you just mentioned it is you work with sales right and it's less about 
you know, what the, what the process looks like. It's more just getting on the same page and making sure there's transparency and consistency through, you know, whatever product or service you're delivering, how that's being framed and articulated on a sales call. And then what the, what the marketing material looks like or what the ads look like or what the, you know, the lead generation campaign looks like so that those things are all consistent. Uh, I think that's probably the most important thing. And, and you touched earlier on, you know, the sort of stereotypical or the bad elements of sales that people sometimes perceive or fear. Uh, the easiest way to get rid of that is just be super transparent front to back. Um, I think where there, there can be a challenge is in convincing salespeople who are chomping at the bit, oftentimes quota-driven, commission-driven, to go out there and, and dial it back just a little bit so that they're able to close more in the long term and retain contracts longer, as opposed to just getting really excited and hypey and sometimes embellishing in a way that's off-brand and then ending up with upset customers, you know, a, a bruised reputational sort of asset. And, uh, and then it's harder. You're fighting uphill with everybody you meet as opposed to, you know, everybody knows referral business is great business. If you're consistent through the sales, marketing, and, and execution process, then it's it's just easier on everybody. Yeah, I was talking to one guest who their company, what they do is they have weekly meetings with sales and marketing with the whole sales team and, and the marketing leaders uh, where they really get a sense of what sales is hearing from the customers as a result of them trying to communicate the message that marketing had done. Mm-hmm. Seems to me like that's that's a pretty essential best practice. But it's interesting as I've pinged other companies how rarely that seems to happen. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. And, and look, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that even Hawk Media in our in our B2B you know client acquisition efforts are are batting a thousand because we're not right. And I think that's part of the fun of running a business, uh, whether you're in a sales team or a marketing team or an operational team, is there's there's just always room for improvement. And even on the basics, even on the best practices. Tightening up that funnel, getting uh, getting all the leaks in the boat patched, and and just working towards uh, an ideal. And as long as you've got an ideal out there and you understand best practices, uh, it gives you something to show up for every day when you get to the office. Anyway, <laughs> true. So one of the sort of sobering stats that that I'd seen recently was that said that salespeople spend up to forty percent of their time either searching for or modifying marketing content to help them, you know, at various stages of the sales process. And that's sort of interesting to get your your feelings about that because that that seems like a big number, uh, but it's a fairly reputable firm that came up with the number. So, just sort of interesting your first impression. Then let's talk about if that mismatch really exists. How do you get that resolved? Yeah, that's a big number. I hadn't heard that stat, but uh, and this I is mean, in the B two B space, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can certainly see that. I, I, I can see how that would be possible, and obviously, if it's, if it's coming from a reputable source, it's not just possible; it's happening. So, um, I think maybe that disconnect comes from an understaffed marketing department, um, or, or or perhaps uh, a less than stellar CMO, head of digital, head of marketing, whoever that person might be. And depending on company size, that might just be a function of budget or where they're at in their growth stage, and they can't afford it. Maybe it's a you know, a non-funded company that's bootstrapped and just trying to grow. And I think those things are marketing. I feel like it often is the the first to go right in a, in a round of cuts. Everyone knows that sales is really important and got to have people out there beating the streets and uh, banging the drum so that the lights stay on and the, the revenue keeps coming in. But oftentimes marketing is a function that gets absorbed into somebody else's job. And, and so they say, Hey, you know, I, I can, I can probably, 
you know, create some collateral for our sales guys. I can probably run a Facebook ad. I, I can probably, you know, design our email newsletter that goes out once every Tuesday or, or whatever that might be. Uh, in, in reality, those things are hard. Uh, those things are hard to get right. And when there's so much noise out there in the market without good marketing um, effort, um, it's, it's hard to distinguish yourself. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm still trying to digest the, the reality of 40% of a sales team's time being dedicated towards marketing. That's, that's pretty intense. I, and I guess if I were to stumble across said situation in my role now, I, first thing I would do is make sure that there's some resources, whether it's time or money or both, spent on, on marketing and advertising. Yeah, well, in this case, I said there the forty percent was looking either looking for the content that someone says exists somewhere, marketing says exists, or I said the one I found most more disturbing was was that they were spending time modifying it because nothing more horrifying than the thought of sales rep taking a marketing presentation trying to mod, you know, like a PowerPoint trying to modify it. Yeah, it's not a very effective use of time. Yeah, not an effective use of time, and and again, to a, you know our our topic just a second ago, probably not fully transparent. There's probably a reason that language is in there. Again, depending on how the organization is structured, I mean, we we don't let the the tail wag the dog, so to speak. You know, we we start with what we do at Hawk Media. This is, um, and then all of our all of our marketing material and all of our sales presentations are a reflection of that. So sales is really the last to modify. It's more. Here's what here's what's going on. Here's what we do. Here's how we want to position this. Now go do that um, in, in the best way possible using your skills, and you know, of course, be smart about lead generation and so on. So if I if I found out one of our, our sales guys was like modifying our pitch deck in order to fit what it was that they thought was important, I would certainly have a few follow up questions. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. Um, okay, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in just a second with uh, talking more about lead generation and uh, marketing in this digital age with Tony Del Mercado. Be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. All right, welcome back. Talking to Tony Del Mercado. And so a question I have that sort of follow-on that we were talking about before the break is, you know, we're talking about sales marketing alignment, and you know, I know it's sort of a tough question, but heard a lot recently and I've been to several conferences and it's like the dividing line between sales and marketing is, is shifting fairly substantially in B2B cases. In some companies, in some cases, uh, we're seeing companies where marketing's actually taken over responsibility for a function of a good portion of the inside sales responsibility, you know, the sales development reps that are doing the proactive outbound calling. So in your mind, where, where should that line reside? Yeah, it's a, I'm sure it's a, a sticky, sticky situation to you know put my put my foot out into, and as a company that positions itself as an outside CMO, I certainly don't want to put any professional sales or salespeople or sales managers on on the defensive. But I, I will say that depending on price point and the service that you're offering, uh, there is a lot that marketing can do that uh, might negate some of what used to require a salesperson. Um, 
one of the things that I'm, I'm really hot on for a number of reasons is the, the multitude of ways that we can now generate leads online and nurture those and nurture and qualify those leads to a point uh, of needing less salespeople to nurture and qualify leads and, and using some automated email systems, using some behaviorally triggered email that comes out, um, retargeting effectively, so you know showing mm-hmm. different messaging to people at different stages in the funnel. Uh, the technology is going to continue to get better and better, and if you've got a a technologically savvy marketing department, you really can um, step over into what used to be sales territory by doing some of that lead nurturing and initial outreach in a way that doesn't feel mechanized and doesn't feel automated, um, but actually feels personal and has a name on it and has a link on it. These kinds of things that you know, I think in the in the long run, for the people that are good salespeople and have sales skills. It's just going to help them spend their time better. They're going to spend their time with more qualified prospects regardless of the business. Uh, they're probably going to close a higher percentage of that, and they're probably going to earn more commissions as a result. So I don't think it's net-net a bad thing, but I do, and again, from my biased digital marketing perspective, I do think that a lot of online in particular, online lead acquisition can, can fall under the marketing umbrella. Well, but I, what I, point I was making is actually – heard of companies now where marketing is actually managing the inside sales team. The guys, what they call sales development reps, that are actually you know, doing the proactive outbound calling. So they're doing their online lead generation, their inbound marketing, content marketing campaigns, and you know, when they get the sales qualified leads, that first call being made of the sales qualified lead is part of the marketing department. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. I mean, I think, like, for example, we have a, you know, despite my experience in direct sales and sales and, you know, feeling pretty comfortable with it, um, we have a national sales manager who's a sales manager. That's what he does, right? And we have uh, a lot of people that are doing marketing internally. And I would recommend any company, if you have salespeople, you have a sales manager and that person is (laughs) sales oriented. I think they're different animals. Uh, So to, to hear that, I would say, if I had a client that was basically, you know, in terms of their hierarchy or their org chart, putting all of their outbound, uh, you know, sales callers underneath someone from a from a marketing expertise, I think that's probably a mistake. I think culturally, they're also not always the the same kinds of people uh, with the same goal sets. Well, it raises an interesting question, and philosophically, which is, you know, is proactive outbound calling, proactive prospect development. Uh, is that really a sales function or a marketing function? Right? I mean, isn't it to some degree it's about creating awareness? You're not actually selling something. And these inside sales teams these days are really just selling a meeting with an account exec that's going to, you know, follow up with them at that point. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about you know dialing for dollars off of a bot list, I, I, I think you could make the argument that that's a marketing function. But I just think as far as um, organizational Again, organizational theory and and who's going to be training those people, how they develop along. I think I think that's a sales role. I think that's someone that that should really be trained as a salesperson, as opposed to a marketer. There's certainly overlap, right? The Venn diagram is is pretty healthy in the middle there, but right. I, I think that that person should have, have a sales mentality, should have a you know hunter gatherer as opposed to farmer mentality. And I think marketing is a lot more farming, planting a lot of seeds, and kind of reaping what you sow. So there's, there's different stuff out there, but I think, yeah. Well, I, I, well, actually one of the interesting arguments about that people make, and this is of interest on in your opinion on this is about, uh, continued reliance. And I mean, I'm a sales guy, so 
on outbound prospecting is that opportunities sourced through a proactive outbound strategy, qualified opportunities sourced through a proactive outbound strategy, end up having a higher lifetime contract value and convert at a higher rate than leads that are generated through digital marketing. And personally, I find that, I think that's anecdotal and I don't think it's true, but I'm interested in, <laughs> interested in your opinion because there's a lot of people that hold that opinion. Yeah, I, I don't have the data uh, to say definitively, like you said, it's anecdotal, but um, I don't know that I would necessarily say that. I Actually, here's what I will say. If we're, if we're looking at um, lifetime value of the contract and, and long-term retention, I, I think that's plausible. Um, but from an efficiency standpoint, those are happening way less frequently, in my mind anyway, than the qualified leads that are happening from digital marketing efforts, at least those are bearing fruit less frequently, but when they do bear fruit, is it possible that they last longer? It's possible. I, I for one, would respond better um, to digital marketing. If we're being anecdotal, I can express my opinion, which is that for me, I think the act of discovery and digital nurturing uh, appeals more to me than someone calling me unsolicited or reaching out on email unsolicited uh, and then me kind of feeling like I'm being sold as opposed to gently discovering and being nurtured through the process digitally, but different strokes. Now, whether that leads me to stay longer or not, I don't know. I, I don't know that that's, um, well, I think, yeah, I, think, I don't thing. think, I don't personally, I don't think it does. I mean, I think that, and I always get comments on that, but I mean, in the business to business space, the assumption is at some point salesperson is involved with the, the buyer's journey, right? And whether it happens you know, top of funnel or halfway down the funnel, as most people project these days, you know, uh, the challenger customer book that came out from CEB talking about, you know, buyers are 50 plus percent of the way through the buyer's journey before they ever engage with a sales rep. Somehow, I think that first point of engagement doesn't really dictate the ultimate size of the deal or, or how long they yeah, stay with you. But exactly. I think that'd be, if that was corollary in any way, I would be, I would chalk that up to, you know, the number of there's a lot of those weird corollary stats that are out there, like greenhouse gases have gone up as something else weird has gone down that doesn't relate to it, right? It's uh, sometimes trend lines are are there just kind of independent of each other, but I, I would be surprised that a human being earlier in that process yielded a longer net value. I think the net value of that contract probably has to do with you know execution and retention more so than. Uh, whether or not they saw an ad or got a cold call. Yeah, absolutely true. I agree. So, all right. So, good. So, um, yeah, last question in this, and then we'll go into the last segment of the show. It's just, we sort of, you sort of talked about it before, but, you know, in an ideal world for me is, is sales reps just sell and, and they don't do any proactive outbound, but we haven't seemed to reach that point of a proactive, of an ideal world yet where that's, so, you, you know, sales reps still have to go do that. But really, what's the, what do you see coming in the next, you sort of alluded to it, but in the next you know, two to five years that's you know, fundamentally going to change the equation so that maybe a lot of this proactive outbound activity goes away and sales is really focused on dealing with you know, sales qualified leads that they're really then taking up and moving to the end of the journey? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I would say that I think that that's, I like that idea because, uh, and I don't know how much of this you heard before I got cut off, but the... None. <laughs> No, great, perfect. Uh, the notion of people doing people work, uh, soft skills, emotional intelligence, communication skills, uh, you know, you and I having a conversation as human beings is, is super important, 
but uh, we can communicate through email about things that are less important, and both of us could even have autoresponders that are talking to each other for half of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I like the idea of people spending their time doing people things. So the further we can get a prospect down the line, um, the further down the funnel, so that once a human being is involved with that part of the process, it's, it's only when they need to be, then everybody's using their time most efficiently, right? Um, and we're using people for those kinds of things. So I think the, all of the tools that are, that are great out there with automated email marketing and we're getting better and better as marketers about you know, placing uh, cookies in browsers and understanding where that user is in terms of the, uh, the life of the lead and uh, getting them the right time messaging based on what other products or services they're looking at. And all that technology is it's already here. It's just going to get more and more accessible. So more and more businesses are going to be using um, retargeting and email marketing in, par- in particular to get people the right kinds of messages that get them further down through the funnel. Um, I'm a big fan of that. And I think that there's lots of technology. You know, If you ask somebody five years ago what MailChimp was, they'd look at you funny. Um, now, I don't know too many people that don't use MailChimp for something. right? Or something uh, equivalent, right? Yeah, or something equivalent, exactly. So now all of those tools like MailChimp and HubSpot and Constant Contact and Salesforce and all these other things are getting so uh, so technical uh, and complex but with easier and easier user interfaces and really nice APIs where Salesforce can talk to whatever email service provider you're using, can talk to uh, whatever website you're using, whatever cart you're using. And also, in all likelihood, you've placed a a cookie through a small script on your website at the, on the browser of everybody that's been to your site. And so all these things are talking to each other. We're understanding what consumers are doing. Uh, you know, the analytics platforms are getting better and better for segmentation and cohort analysis. So I'm a fan, right? I'm a fan of all that stuff, not just because I'm in the digital marketing space, but also because I think it allows people to leverage technology so that we as people can spend our time uh, having the most interesting and relevant conversations for our businesses, right? Yep. Well, I agree. Good answer. All right. So we're going to move into the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario. And you're the, you're the star of this scenario. All right. And what you've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. And senior management really wants to get unstuck. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? So the first two things I would do, um, regardless of team size, I would meet with every single person there and let them tell me uh, what it is that they love about the job and what it is they hate about the job, as well as how they measure their own uh, efficacy. Uh, I think if I understood those three things from everybody on that team, that gives me a great uh, starting point. And, uh, and sort of just let them air it out. Um, I think the, the people management side uh, is probably the most important. And, and I think people will only work a certain amount for people that they don't like or feel respected by or trust with or, or those things. So I, I am big on making sure that from, a, from an interpersonal standpoint, things are buttoned up on day one. Okay. So second thing is um, I would either implement or make better whatever tracking methodology they were using. Um, in all likelihood, they're not tracking every single point of the, of the sales cycle. 
Uh, if they were tracking every single point of the sales cycle, they may not know what sort of standard uh, percentages are from uh, a new lead to how many of those do we get a hold of within 24 hours, within 72, how many touch points does it take us to get someone on the phone once we do, how long is an average call, if we're using a, a slide sharing tool um, like Prezi or something like that, how many of those are we getting through, how many hours of FaceTime do we have with our clients, what's our closing percentage after first call, second call, third call, are we generating referrals. Uh, there's there are a hundred metrics that I'd probably want to know, and so either implementing or enhancing the uh, the tracking methodology would be my second thing. Okay, good answer. So uh, some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers, or you can elaborate. But first one is when you personally are out selling and have been out selling. Uh, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, I'm really friendly. <laughs> I'm really nice. I think I'm I'm just an approachable guy. So you quickly build rapport. That's a great way to frame it. Yep. All right. Good. So, do you man do you manage sales for your company? You know, until Monday, yeah. Okay. Well, so what what tool do you use for sales management that you can't live without? Uh, I would say SharpSpring and Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce more as a CRM. And SharpSpring is what? Uh, SharpSpring is a a CRM with a cool little tool built in. Uh, that allows you to see what a prospect has done either on your website or with your emails. So it gives you this thing called life of the lead where you can see how somebody's interacted with you and your brand uh, over the course of their time. Okay, so, so fundamentally email tracking, sort of like Yesware or app or something like that. Uh, similar but also on-site. That's, that's sort of the big distinguishing factor. Oh, so okay. if you go to the products page of my website, I know that. All right, okay. Um, who's your sales role model? A sales role model. It's a great question. Um, I liked, man, I'm, I'm doing poorly in the rapid fire format. Uh, I'll say Jim Rohn. Okay, good answer. What's one book that every salesperson should read? Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Great answer. It's probably the number one on the well, probably tied with Napoleon Hill's book, Thank and Grow Rich. But those two, it's amazing. We have classics from the 30 are still the most relevant books that people have read, right? It's amazing. Uh, um, here's a tough question. So what what's on your playlist right now? What music's on your playlist? What music's on my playlist? That's good. Uh, Killer Mike, who's a rapper from Atlanta, and uh, <laughs> Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. And if I pulled up the, let's see here. Oh, and then uh, another rapper from Minneapolis named Prof. Minneapolis, back to the roots. Okay. Back to the roots. Back yeah, to the in roots. fact, the Rhyme Sayers has a playlist that I just pretty much listen to all the time. It's a record label out of Minneapolis. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, last question for you then. So what's the first sales activity you do every day? First sales activity I do in my current role is I'll talk to Cole uh, who's on our sales management team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Passing the buck to Cole. Okay. Passing the buck to Cole. <laughs> as far as what I do, man, uh, well, at some point before 9.30 a.m., I've probably responded to at least one person that's um, at some point in our, in, our, in our flow to acquire them as a client. Okay. Good. All right. Well, Tony, that's been great. Thanks for thanks for joining the, the show today. And how can people find out more about you and Hawk Media? Yeah, uh, Hawk Media, H-A-W-K-E, media.com. So Hawk with an E, media.com. 
Uh, check us out online. We do really good work. We are um, incredibly affordable on any budget, and we provide a, three, uh, a free 30-minute consultation for anybody looking to grow their business online. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast part of your daily routine, whether it's on your commute, in the gym, or make it a part of your morning sales huddle. But then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Tony Del Mercado, who share their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 